Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Brian Dwyer, joined in the studio by Eric Sidrud. Eric, today we finally get to chapter four in the book of Jonah, and Jonah is only four chapters long. And what we're calling this episode is the most embarrassing chapter in the Bible. And we'll read the chapter in just a second here. It's it's short. That's what we've been doing throughout this entire Jonah series. But the reason it's the most embarrassing chapter in my book, the most embarrassing chapter in the Bible, is because we get an opportunity to see a a grown man, Jonah, throw a tantrum. Like when when I read chapter four, like as I go through the chapter, I keep saying, "Aren't you embarrassed? Isn't this embarrassing? Mm-hmm. I, it, it'd be so embarrassing to me for the whole world to know that this is how I interacted with God, which is what we're going to read here in just a second. But before we get into all that, have you ever seen a grown man throw a tantrum? <laughs> Yeah, it seems to happen a lot with uh, competitive guys in sports, men and women. I've seen it. Um, one one illustration comes to mind is Bobby Knight. Now, that was probably a long time ago, but he's still famous today because of the tantrums he used to throw uh, courtside, you know, as mm-hmm. a coach, kicking chairs over, throwing his, throwing his clipboard, yelling at the referee. And I think that's what made him famous. But when I used to watch that, I was just kind of embarrassed for him a little bit. I mm-hmm. I hope that I don't ever act like that. Now that might be, you know, his own internal anger issues that he needs to deal with, but the way that he he reacted to it was it was almost like he was entitled, right? Entitled to get the win every time and to have it go his way every time. Yeah, it, it was, was like a it was like a watching a toddler coach, mm-hmm. right? He I wonder if he was ever embarrassed when he would watch. I'm sure for people who don't know what we're talking about, just just get on YouTube and Google um, Bobby Knight tantrum or something like that. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll see what we're talking about. I mean, throwing chairs across the floor, <laughs> just a just a. I mean, it's kind of you almost want to look. It's one of those things where you want to look away, but you can't really look away because mm-hmm. you can't believe what you're seeing. Another guy that I think of with this, again, very competitive, you're right, I think competition sometimes bring the, brings us out, certainly in men, mm. is John McEnroe, you know, a great tennis player in his day, but m- maybe the only other guy that is mo- is just as embarrassing to watch, or maybe even more embarrassing to watch, sometimes the way, the way he would throw tantrums out on the tennis court, the way he would interact with the... Uh, with the referees or the, whatever you call those people in tennis. I'm not a real tennis guy, but embarrassing. And I want, I want, I watch that stuff, and I'm, I'm like, aren't you embarrassed? I don't know. Maybe he is. Yeah, I was. Uh, we, our church used to do kind of like a a turkey bowl for Thanksgiving. We'd do flag football, and you know, again, a lot of us are pretty competitive. I'm competitive on the golf course. I mean, I see it all the time. But uh, I remember uh, seeing a pastor, uh, you know, kind of get mad at a guy you know, for uh, maybe an illegal block or something like that in flag football. And uh, they were they were yelling at each other. And I was like, come on, guys, we're, <laughs> we're Christians here. We should be representing Christ. We need to forgive each other. But yeah, those times get embarrassing. And I think as we look at the book of Jonah, um, not just even the, the fourth chapter is embarrassing, but it seems like the whole, the whole book. Because he's supposed to be a prophet of God, a man of God, but 
um, he's like the world's worst missionary because he's called to go do this hard job to preach to Nineveh, and he, instead of running to go do the Lord's work as a prophet should, he runs away um, because he doesn't agree with God and maybe in fear that things wouldn't go his way. And I think, again, in chapter 4, we're going to see kind of uh, another tantrum that he throws. Right, and we're going to read that in a second. But yeah, let's catch people up for people who maybe aren't as familiar with the story. It's an Old Testament book. Uh, it's a, the prophet Jonah. God calls him to go to Nineveh and bring a message. Remember, Nineveh was the enemy nation. Jonah goes the other way. He gets swallowed up by a fish. He's there for three days, three nights. He gets spit. He, he kind of has this come to Jesus moment in chapter two in the fish. He says, I'm going to keep my vows. I'm going to go your way. He gets spit out. And then in chapter three, we just looked at last week, he he ends up in Nineveh, brings this eight-word eight message. Basically, if you don't repent, you'll be destroyed. Um, no, it doesn't even say that. Uh, his message was, God's going to destroy you in in yeah. 40 days. He didn't even, it wasn't even conditional. It was just, he's going to destroy you. The, the, the king of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh respond in repentance, kind of like Jonah did the chapter before. They said, hey, who knows? Maybe God will relent. That wasn't even part of the deal, but... God relents. That's kind of where we left off last week, that God does relent. He he changed his mind, and there's a whole theological can of worms there. We're not going to open that up today. Um, but he changes his mind. He doesn't, he doesn't destroy them. And that's what leads to chapter four, the final chapter in this book. And it really is really a brilliant story, because this is where we see Jonah throwing the tantrum. In the context of God showing mercy to the enemy nation, Jonah now really lets God have it. So let's read Jonah chapter 4, and then let's unpack it together. All right, Jonah chapter 4, there's 10 verses, starting in verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm the next morning at dawn. The worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? There's actually 11 verses. 11 <laughs> verses, right. And so, and that's how the book ends. It's really interesting. It just kind of ends on a cliffhanger. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. 
But I, you know, when I, whenever I read chapter four, I, I think about my, my son, who's a, who's a grown man now, but when he was younger, um, he, he would say stuff like this. He, I just want to die. Right. Mm-hmm. He just was, he was maybe, maybe some of the people listening out there can relate to kind of the up and down kind of a personality, kind of a temperament. I see that in Jonah, that Jonah, and by the way, God loves to use people like that. God is using my son in great ways. But some people just have that temperament where it's just highs and lows and highs and lows. A couple times in this chapter, Jonah's like, just take me now, Lord. I just mm-hmm. want to die. You know, every once in a while, our son will text us, and he'll text us in all caps, just the most um, confusing and extreme texts. And then when we call him, we realize, well, he just he's just kind of processing this. Some people, this is how they process. They process out loud. Some people hold it in. Our daughter's one that really holds it in and bottles it up. Our son is one that processes out loud. I think Jonah's like our son. Jonah reminds me of Peter. Peter was kind of what you see is what you get. He wore his emotions on his sleeves. And this is Jonah. So Jonah is Jonah is running from God. Jonah is in the whale. Jonah is repenting. Jonah is finally being obedient to God. Now we see Jonah throwing a tantrum because God as it says in verse one, because of God's change of plans. You know, sometimes this happens to us. We feel like this is the way God should do something, right? And then when he doesn't, when he doesn't act according to our expectations, sometimes that's when our attitude toward God gets exposed. And that's the first thing. We're gonna we're gonna talk about three things that are embarrassing in the Jonah story and and we want to relate it to our relationship with God as well. The first thing is that it's embarrassing when your attitude toward God gets exposed. That's what's happening here with Jonah, is his attitude toward God is getting exposed, right? He, he, two chapters ago, chapter two, his prayer to God is seems to be like a prayer of repentance. God, I'm going to go your way now. And now he's, I don't know how long, how a week, day, how many days it is now that he's praying in chapter four, and he has a completely different attitude. God hasn't changed. But, but the situation has, has changed, and it doesn't meet Jonah's expectation. And it's just embarrassing how you, if you contrast these two prayers side by side, it's embarrassing how this exposes Jonah's attitude, that Jonah is so fickle in his relationship with God, and I think we can be the same way. Yeah, I think for us, the book of Jonah really is at getting at two different audiences, and I think both of those audiences are us human beings one is a person who's a hypocrite you know and then the other who is the the nation of Nineveh just sinners people that are far from God and I think all of us can relate to both Jonah um, how we react to God and what he does in our lives being his his children um, and we can all relate to certainly being you know this sinful nation as well and the thing about this verse it says this change of plans if you think about it it's not as if, you know, God totally revealed his entire plan to Jonah. Mm. He just said to Jonah, go say this to the nation of Nineveh. And so, so Jonah has it in his mind, okay, this is, this is going to... He already knew that God, God might relent. He knew God's character, mm-hmm. but God didn't reveal what, what he was going to do and why he wanted him to go preach. And so for Jonah, this was a change of his plans not necessarily God's plans. And so what he's doing is he's 
He's trying to pull God off his throne. You know, he's he's arguing against the sovereignty of God. Uh, and you're just you're right. In in chapter two, he was he was lifting up the sovereignty of God. He was saying salvation belongs to the Lord, and he was he was saying I will fulfill my vows to you. And now he's like, oh, I can't believe the plans have changed, Lord. And as if like God can't have His own mysterious plans, um, and and Jonah not be uh, included in all of it. Mm-hmm. So he's he's throwing a fit because it really didn't go his way. Well, right, and and so we see this attitude, this, and I think again, I would encourage people who are listening, maybe in your small group, or if you're talking through this with a mentor, just to be honest and say, when when is your attitude toward God? been exposed. When have you, you know, it's easy when you're in a desperate situation like chapter two, you're in that rock bottom place. It's easy when you're at rock bottom to have this this tender response toward God, this, um, you know, this soft, humble response toward God. But it's also easy. I, I think probably a lot of people can think of times like that. I've, I can think of many times like that where I've had just this response toward God that is is humble and appropriate, right, when you're in a rock-bottom place. But can you think of a time when God didn't meet your expectations, when God, from your vantage point, like you said, Eric, from your vantage point, God changed his plans? Now, again, from God's, we don't know God's plans. Mm-hmm. We don't know God, we don't know how God wants to, we saw earlier in this series that God works all things for the good of those who who love him and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Well, we don't, but we don't know how that's all going to work out. God doesn't tell it. He doesn't map that out for us. Even sometimes when we read his word, we read into it. This is kind of what, what Jonah's doing. We read into his word and we, we kind of jump to conclusions about God in his timing and his purpose and his actions. But the truth is we're not on the, on his throne. And so we don't, we don't always know how he's going to respond. We don't always know what God's plan is, and we need to trust him. And it's, it's. I would encourage people to think about times in their own life when God didn't act according to their expectations, and then they had an attitude like Jonah toward God, this kind of this entitlement attitude, like, God, you owe this to me, right? Because God, Jonah thought God owed it to him, to Jonah, and maybe to Israel, to destroy the Ninevites, and mm-hmm. God didn't do it. And so here his attitude gets exposed that really his attitude is selfish toward God and that's really that's a that's a mirror for all of us yeah if you think about it um, in 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 your own life those who are listening or even in in my life the question that we should ask ourselves is when when God allows um, things to go uh, a different way than what we expected how do how do we react I mean and, and let's let's take it a step further I mean let's give some practical examples. Think about um, getting sick, you know? Like, there's been times uh, recently, you know, over the past couple of years where I was like, I felt like, okay, God was going to keep me from this virus. Hmm. And I ended up getting it twice, and I was like, God, like, I thought I was your child. Why would you let me get... This was terrible, you know? And I, I survived. It was great, you know? Now I've, you know, I'm, I'm healthy and stuff. But, but I think... You know, thinking about people in my church, you know, in our church where lots of bad things happen to good people, you mm-hmm. know, quote unquote, and 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 they don't go according to our plan. And, and a lot of people, I think a lot of Christians think, 
you know, when I came to Jesus, maybe they heard the wrong message that it was supposed to be all about health, wealth, and prosperity, and I was going to name and claim every victory, and and he was going to be basically do my bidding, and God was going to do everything that I asked if I prayed enough, if I did enough, if I repented enough, if I lived holy enough. And that's just simply not how the Christian life works. It's it's God is a sovereign God, and as you said, He chooses to allow or to do things, and because we need to learn, um, we need to learn from sin, we need to learn from pain, we need to learn from discipline, as we've we've seen, and and so whatever is going on in our lives, and when God chooses a different route than what we wanted him we we've got to just submit and say okay you're god and i'm not you're doing something in this and i should trust you because you have right judgment my judgment is skewed and and so but sometimes god has to you know teach us lessons in this life um, when we throw these tantrums that's what i think this this chapter is a lot about is god now has to teach him another lesson Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah he gives him another another chance Mm -hmm. it's interesting because god could have just um just destroyed Jonah and said, I'm, I'm done with you. I mean, really, if God was like Jonah, that's what would have happened. Because Jonah, God would have been just done with him. But, but that's not how God is. In fact, Jonah knows that. <clears throat> it's our theme verse for this whole series, Jonah 4.2. I want to read it again, and I want to give some context to it, because it's really interesting, the context. He says, I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God. And actually, Jonah's quoting Exodus 34 right here. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. So this was a refrain in the Old Testament that shows up in many places. Exodus 34 is the first place, Joel 2, Nehemiah 9, Psalm 86, Psalm 103, Psalm 111, Psalm 112, Psalm 145. Look all that up. It's this. It's a variation on this theme about God's nature, about God's character. But it shows up first in Exodus 34, and the context is: go read it for yourself. Exodus 34 is where Moses had to get a second copy of the Ten Commandments because he broke the first copy in his own little tantrum when he comes mm-hmm. down from the mountain experience with God. It's kind of similar to Jonah, I guess, in a sense. He comes down from this mountaintop experience with the Ten Commandments, God's message to his people, and he sees God's people making false idols, and so he throws he throws the commandments, the tablets with the commandments, and he has to, when he goes back up to the mountain to be with God, and God gives him a second commandment, this is where Moses says this, but it's in the context, Moses says to God, you're, you're having me lead a stubborn and rebellious people. And then in the context of that, Moses says this about God, that, that you're gracious and compassionate, you're merciful, you're slow to get angry, you're filled with unfailing love. And so this is this, you know, as the people of Israel early on are trying to understand God's stance toward his people, his stance toward his people is, is that I'm, I'm going to give you a second chance and third chance, and I'm a good God. And so, so that even the copy of the Ten Commandments, the second copy of the Ten Commandments is proof positive of that. And so Jonah, it's interesting that Jonah, there's so many parallels to that Moses story that Jonah now is God's messenger to his people. And, and Jonah recognizes this, but he still, he still doesn't understand that that mercy and compassion is extended to him. Yeah, I have a biblical dad joke for you. Who... 
who broke all the Ten Commandments at once? Moses. Yeah. <laughs> so he was a he was a sinner. He threw a tantrum, like you said. Um, but yet, God still used him in His mercy as well. God still uses, and that's what I love about this story um, is that even though Jonah is you know a scared, fearful, uh, he's a prejudice. He's he's um, prideful, uh, selfish, maybe even unequipped at times, kind of a bad example of what a missionary should be, God still is so patient towards him. And that's mm-hmm. part of that quote, which is the most quoted Old Testament verse, I think, in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Is this what you're talking about? And it says that he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He's a patient God, and he's so patient even with with us, even when we mess up, even when we don't like his plans, even when we throw little tantrums. And God is certainly merciful to Jonah, and I think that we should allow this to then apply to us. Now, we should try not to be like Jonah, (laughs) but we are sometimes. Um, And I think we just need to understand God's, God's mercy for us and then be able to then be okay when God wants to show it to other people as well. Well, yeah, and that's really, that's kind of the second point we want to draw out. It's embarrassing how little we understand God's mercy, right? Jonah, in Jonah 4.4, the Lord replies to Jonah after he throws this little tantrum. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to relent. I knew you were going to extend grace to Nineveh after God had just done it to him in the previous chapter. And the Lord replies, you know, again, Jonah's angry at God, and I've been there. I've been angry at God. It's embarrassing to think about. The Lord replies, and he said, is it right for you to be angry about this? Yeah. And it's, a, it's, you know, it's a question that the answer is obvious is no. It's, it's not right. Who, who do you, Jonah, who do you think you are? I just, it's interesting to see God's compassion and grace and mercy, even, even in the way he talks to Jonah, I mean, I, I I think back to when my kids threw tantrums when they were little. I wasn't as gracious and kind as as God is to Jonah here. So we even see God's mercy toward Jonah when he's having this conversation with them. But it's true for us that we don't we don't really understand God's mercy. Most of us don't really fully understand God's mercy. And, and this Jonah story is perfect because Jonah is saying, these people do not deserve your mercy. Mm-hmm. But Jonah can't look in the mirror. But he's just thinking about the Ninevites. These people do not deserve your mercy. And it's a good question for people today. Who is it in your world, maybe someone you know or maybe just enemies of God, who is it that you can think of, make a list of people that, that you believe do not deserve the mercy of God. I mean, be honest about that and make that list because I think it'll expose that you don't understand God's mercy because I bet you won't I bet you you won't put yourself on that list. Yeah, and if you think about mercy, mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. And so mercy is withholding um, punishment or the wrath of God. And then the word grace then is undeserved favor. From God, and so grace and mercy. Mercy certainly comes from the uh, out of the attribute of of God's grace is that He wants to give people this undeserved, unmerited favor, and He wants to hold back from 
from um, from his anger and his wrath towards people, even though all people deserve it, including Jonah, including the most holiest person that you've ever met. Um, they still, um, because works and and whatever is in our character isn't enough to make us right with God. You know, it r- really brings us back to the gospel is we're all undeserving of the sacrifice of Jesus, but yet he did it anyway. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a free gift. It's an undeserved gift that God gave us. And so if we don't, if, if, if somehow in our mind we think that we're more deserving than another person is, then all of a sudden you've changed the gospel of grace into uh, Jesus plus works. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, are, you've, you've turned it into somehow there's something in me that God loves, and that's why he chose to forgive me, and that's why he loves me. And it, it reminds me of this really great parable that Jesus himself teaches in Matthew chapter 20. It's called the parable of the vineyard workers. And he's teaching us a lesson kind of that goes really along with, you know, Jonah thinking that this nation certainly didn't deserve God's mercy and grace. And, you know, he, he starts out and he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers and he agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. And so the story goes on. It says, at 9 o'clock in the morning, he passed through the marketplace, and he hired some people, um, and he sent them out to go work, and they, they agreed to the wage. And then again at noon, he went and found more people to send out to work. And then at 3, he found more people to go out there to work. And, and even at 5 o'clock, he sent people out there to go um, work in the field. And then what happens in the parable is that as he, as the worker at the end of the day goes to pay the wages, they all get the same wages, and somebody's bothered by that. One of the workers is, is, is bothered by that, um, and Jesus replies, he answers one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? And so I think the the moral of the story is, is that we think we deserve more from God, and we don't think he should be able to share the same undeserved favor um, with other people because we have it mixed up in our minds about God's love and mercy towards us. It really had nothing to do. We're getting um, a great gift, and it has the same value whether someone accepts it now or later. Like, if I've been a Christian for 20 years, and I die and go to heaven, but there's a guy who accepts Christ yesterday, and and we die at the same time, am I going to stand in heaven and be like, how did this guy get in here? Uh, and how are we? How do we have the same size house? You know, if mm. we're living on the same block, how do we have the same size house? What, how? What gives? That mm-hmm. just—it's such a worldly way of thinking, mm-hmm. because we're kind of pre-programmed to think that we've got to earn everything and even earn God's love. And this is really a, a story about you know God will show. He says you know quoted in the Old Testament and then again in Romans. I will show mercy on whom I'll show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God gets to decide whom whom he's going to love. Yeah, my daughter texted me the other night. She said, 
is Jeffrey Dahmer going to go mm. to heaven? And I, I wasn't really sure where that was coming from, but I, I called her and, and she, had, she and her roommate were watching a documentary on Jeffrey Dahmer. And uh, I, don't, I, w- I didn't watch the doc- documentary because I'm not crazy. <laughs> but um, but I, you know you know the story of Jeffrey Dahmer. All I mean, he murdered all these you know serial killer, and apparently this, as the story goes, apparently he came to faith in jail before he died. And I, again, I'm not I'm not here to make any statements about that. I don't know. I don't. We don't know Jeffrey Dahmer's heart, but but I know what my daughter was getting at, and I think it's why Jesus told this story. Mm. Is we look at a story like that, and we're like, there's got to be a line. There's got to be a line that God draws mm. that he says, you are t- sorry, I'm sorry, what you've done disqualif- automatically disqualifies you. There is no coming back for you. There is, there is no second chance for you, for this kind of person. Let's be honest, we all have a line that we draw. We all think that there's a line that we draw. The question is, does God draw that line? Or mm-hmm. is that just us? Yeah. And I think the biblical answer is, well, no. I mean, I guess you could. We could get into There's the unf- only one unf- unforgivable yeah, sin. The unforgivable right? yeah. sin, which is what, Pastor Eric, which is rejecting God, which is which is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, but which is really kind of rejecting God's call on your life, rejecting Him, and outright disbelief, yeah. not having faith. That's the one thing that God God's not going to save you if if you reject Him. And but. Yeah, the, but the question too is: is are we minimizing God when we say He can't save t- even to the uttermost? Mm-hmm. The you know Paul calls himself the chief of sinners, but if we say someone's got, gone too far, have they? They've even gone too far for God. Mm. Now all of a sudden we're bring, making God smaller, like He can't save even the greatest of sinners. I know that's a thing in my. My life, you know, I've there's been, you know, before I came to the Lord and even after that I lived and struggled with so much sin and I still I still to this day am constantly repenting of sin that I don't want to do, but the confidence that I have in the Lord forgiving me and accepting me and loving me because he's a big God even when I he's faithful even when I'm not mm. faithful. So to answer that that Jeffrey Dahmer question, again, I don't know either. Only God God's the judge. I'm not the judge. And Jonah's trying to play the judge here. Mm-hmm. Right. And but only God's the judge. He decides who goes. So certainly it is possible God can save even Jeffrey Dahmer if that is what happened, if he did place his faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and but the point is, really, it's embarrassing how little we understand God's mercy. Mm-hmm. We love it when God lets us off the hook for our sins, but we hate it when he does it for our enemy. And I think that's why Jesus told that story, the parable of the vineyard workers, as he was trying to get under our skin a little bit, which I admit it, it does, that that parable gets under my skin a little bit, but I think that's his point, is he wants to challenge our understanding of God's mercy. He doesn't want us to minimize his mercy. And I think sometimes when we when we get angry at his mercy toward others, that's what we're doing, is we're minimizing his mercy toward us. Mm. I think we're putting ourselves in a different category, like somehow we've earned it. Somehow we deserve God's God's good graces, God's forgiveness, because we, we, we're not as bad as that other guy. And this is what God is trying to expose in Jonah's 
theology in Jonah's thinking. And I think we should all allow it to be exposed in our thinking as well. All right, so Eric, there's one last sort of embarrassing part to the story as we mm-hmm. finish up chapter four. It's embarrassing how we care more about our own comfort than we do about people. Because it's it's just so clever how this story ends that Jonah goes in verse five, he, he, he sits, he goes to the east side of the city, he makes a shelter to sit under, and he sits there waiting to see what would happen to the city. In other words, he's, he's, he's waiting for the fireworks show. I think there's a sense that maybe Jonah thinks he talked God into destroying Nineveh after all. He's sort of hoping that his mm-hmm. little tantrum maybe paid off. And so, so he's, he's going to sit there. He feels justified in this. He's going to sit there, and he's going to wait for God to to do to Nineveh what he had done to Sodom and Gomorrah, fire from heaven, right? And it's there where, spoiler alert, God doesn't destroy the city, but instead God God uh, teaches Jonah one final lesson, and it's a lesson about his comfort. Yeah, this for me makes me want to look back and take inventory of my life as a, a Christian and try to figure out all the different illustrations God has used in my life to teach me life lessons. This is a really good uh, time for all of us to kind of think about, okay, that thing that happened when life wasn't so good or it didn't go my way or um, you allowed kind of a calamity in my life or a storm in my life um, was that for my good? And we talked a lot about that in, in chapter two, but again, it's it's almost like it's happening again here. God's got to teach him because he's he's stubborn. And the interesting thing that I think is what he's teaching him here is that um, God wants to show mercy and compassion on him, so he gives him shade, right? He creates this little plant to give him shade, and he's like, I love you. He's showing his care for him. Mm but then has it taken away, and and then the sun's beating down on its head, and it's hot, and then it says that it sent also a scorching wind from the east, and so he's doubly hot. And so now all of a sudden the heat of God, you know, the wrath of God, hmm. which would have went on Nineveh, he's giving him a little taste of it, a little bit of, you know, fire. You know, he's not necessarily get burned, but he's, oh man, this is terrible, I want to die, you know, he's like... Uh, I'm I'm at this place where you you've removed your care from me and now you've given me a little bit of taste of your wrath and I feel like he's he's sharing with him well this is you you're I'm giving you a, a picture that you're Nineveh right here now do you want this to happen to them you know in even a greater way I can't believe that you would accept my care and love but then uh, be mad when I take that away from you because of your sin and your stubbornness, but but yet you you don't want me to do what I've done for you with a sinful and rebellious people. And the interesting thing is, is, um, you know, the chapter doesn't really ever end with helping us understand how he reacted to that, you know, to the object lesson, but we can certainly take away these these key points from from the book of Jonah and, and verse and chapter four specifically. Yeah, and in verse nine, God asks him a second time, is it right for you to be angry? Now remember, he had just asked mm. him about that in verse five. Is it right for you to be angry that I let Nineveh off the hook? But now now look, he says he asks the same question, but it's a different context. He says, Is it right for you to be angry 
because the plant died. So again, God is challenging Jonah's theology, essentially. Mm. He's challenging his understanding. But this time is so it's so interesting. This time it's just because of a stupid little plant. And that's God's point. But the plant represented, this is where I think American Christians need to really listen to this. The plant represented Jonah's comfort. Mm-hmm. It the plant represented Jonah's what Jonah felt like he was entitled to. He was entitled to this comfortable afternoon, you know, shaded from the sun. Psalm one twenty one says, "The Lord Himself watches over you." This is a verse that we love to have on our kitchen walls. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as a protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. And so we're like, oh, that's the God I want. I want the the shady God. I want the comfortable God. And again, this gets back to what we're the point we're making is it's embarrassing how we care more about our own comfort than we do about people. So I, I really want people to think about this, and this is for me a challenge for me. I have, Eric, I know you do too, I have a really comfortable life. I, We have a beautiful home, um, the AC works, mm. you know, uh, we love to wake up in the morning and have our devotionals, have our coffee, um, but you drive about a, a mile or two away from us, there's a, there's a homeless shelter, and those people have a very different life than we do. Mm-hmm. And I have to when I when I think about this story, I have to really I have to challenge myself to say, is my version of Christianity just really about my comfort? Is my version, you know, we we say this a lot at Pursue God, is is my version of Christianity consumer Christianity? I am more interested in going to a nice, comfortable church, you know, listening to great worship music and and a message that that challenges me, but not too much. <laughs> Right, and I'm. There's so many Christians in our culture today that are more into Christianity because of it, because of its comfortable message, mm. than because of what really what the message that God really wants to bring. God, you know, Jesus said, "I've come to seek and save the lost," and that that's what I when I read Jonah, that's always what I'm challenged with: is am, am I am I open to the uncomfortable challenges in Christianity? Am I open to, we talked about this last week, am I open to sharing with the Ninevites? Or am I am I more interested just in my, you know, consumer Christian version of Christianity? I think a lot of Christians would benefit from asking that question for themselves. If we recall um Jonah kind of being a bad missionary and a bad prophet. I think what you just said, Brian, really, really um, illustrates, you know, his problem here was that he he wanted comfort rather than to go share this hard message. And he did go share the hard message, but he was hoping that it was going to go his way. Uh, and so for us, do we have a message that we need to share and that we're fighting with God on, kind of like Jonah? Do we, do we need to share the gospel? Do we need to talk to someone about their sin? Do we need to have a conversation with someone else about our own sin and accountability? Uh, instead of living this comfortable Christianity, will we let God teach us life lessons to grow us in holiness? Really, I think that's what God wants for Jonah, is for him to see 
that his mercy is undeserved, um, and that God God is sovereign, and that He can choose who He wants to to show compassion and mercy onto. It doesn't matter their social status or economic or uh, ethnic background, but God w- certainly wants to invite all kinds of people into His family. And so for you and me, are we going to be the good missionary or are we going to argue with God and, and stay in our comfort and argue with God about how we think it should go? Or are we going to allow God to be God and us to be his servants? That's really kind of, it really ties back into the, the big idea of Jonah is that, you know, the story of Jonah is more than just this epic fish tale but that it's the story of a God of miracles who's willing to let everyone off the hook for their sins. God is a big God. God can, you know, work things out for our good. He can teach us life lessons. He can go outside the norm to save people who, to the uttermost that are sinful. And, and it reminds me of some passages in the Bible, you should look it up, that talk about how God is the potter and we are the clay. And God, God gets to form us and to use us and to make us into vessels however he wants to use us. And are we okay with that? Are we okay with going and, and sharing God's message with people and getting outside of our comfort zone and, and allowing the, the, the will and the plan of God to play out? We can't control how people re- will react when we share the gospel. We can't control... Um, who's going to be saved and who isn't, but certainly we're called to go do this work, just like Jonah was. Yeah, and this passage, or this book ends on this cliffhanger, right? This is literally, this is the last verse in the book. It says, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And that's how it ends. God is saying to Jonah, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? But really, the implication is, if, you're a, if you align with God's heart, shouldn't, shouldn't you? Shouldn't you? Yeah. Shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't you feel sorry for them? Shouldn't we both feel sorry for them? And it reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 9, where he preaches this mm. great message to these people. He's healing all these people, and he looks out among the crowd, and, and the Bible says that he has compassion on them because they're sheep without a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And I see that I, I see this really being a parallel to the Jonah story. It, the Jonah story really is about aligning our hearts with God's heart. Remember, at the beginning of the story, God said to Jonah, I'm going to send you to Nineveh. Now, Jonah, Jonah didn't fully understand exactly what that was going to mean, but he didn't, he did, he didn't know God's character and nature. And, and already he said, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to be involved in your redeeming plan for that kind of person for enemies like that. And I think this is really what God is challenging us. I would encourage you, if you're a Christian, to l- allow this to be a challenge for you today. Do you, f- do you feel sorry for people? You know, I, it's so easy for me to turn the news on and just get so angry at people who, who are so anti-God. And I know God, God, God's wrath is a real thing. His judgment is a real thing. But is my heart toward them, I want them to know the God of the Bible. I, w- I want... I, I feel sorry for them. I, my heart got, goes out to them because they're confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus' answer in Matthew 9 to that was to turn to his disciples and, and to say, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send more workers into the field. So the solution is more Jonah's. 
even imperfect Jonas. The solution is more workers in the field who will go into the world with the with the message, yes, of judgment. That that's part of the message, like we learned last week. But but this message that says God is a judging God, and He is a He's a He's a righteous God, but He's also a compassionate and merciful God, and He and He wants to extend His mercy and compassion, and forgiveness to you just like he did for me. This is really what the takeaway for the book of Jonah is, is that Christians should read this and say, I want to go into my world, and I want to offer my world the hope of a relationship with God. And it's embarrassing how we make our Christianity just about ourselves. So let's not be like Jonah, but let's let's be like Jesus. In fact, Next week, Eric, you know, we've got one more mm-hmm. one more lesson in this series. Jonah is only four chapters long, but we're going to do an extra kind of an epilogue, an extra chapter, an extra episode, because we're going to talk about how Jonah shows up in the New Testament. We're going to talk about Jesus and Jonah, and I think there's a lot to be learned still about how Jesus thought about and taught about Jonah, and really it's more, it's not just about Jonah. It's about the God of miracles. It is greatest miracle. We're going to talk more about that next time. So join us. 